Welcome to the Church Explained Podcast, a conversation to grow your leadership and build your church. No, bro. What, uh, in um, just thinking of the future, what is, is that what you see then for discipleship, that it has to become into, you know, those small accountability, vulnerability kind of groups, or is there anything else that you see on the horizon? In the next five years, what does yeah. it look like? In the next five years, I I think that I think those smaller groups and real relationships are very key, um, and I think theology. So when I wrote the disciple, I think what I wanted to do was to think about what are the theological foundations of how we understand discipleship so who and I found myself coming back to identity you know so understanding who we are in Jesus I think is such a key thing um and and it will it remain probably the the main thing of um and I think it speaks to a, a contemporary world um, because it seems to me that people are quite lost about who who they are and what constitutes the kind of core of a human being. And the fact that they are fundamentally and unconditionally loved by God, you know, if, if that truth can be communicated, then I feel like discipleship will be so much easier because really it's a it's followership isn't it it's followership and learning and 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 if if people know that they're following the person who only has their best interests at heart who completely knows them you know everything about them and loves them unconditionally and who will never be shocked by anything we can tell him because he knows it already you know and 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 is the great healer i mean jesus is is the one who you know all the the brokenness of our lives and our internal brokenness and the brokenness of our relationships that if we if people could really understand that jesus can properly heal that um I, I think that they'll be won over by him, and then if you know if they and this is why I love Dallas Willard because I think that he he does found all his ideas about discipleship on Jesus being the most captivating person in the world, you know, and being the most beautiful and the most loving and the cleverest person. This I love Dallas Willard bringing that out, you know, and and you think if someone's that attractive. And that amazing and that loving and that focused on you as an individual and your well-being, then, you know, what is not to love, really? Um, and that loving relationship is where is is the context of the discipleship. So if we can if we can achieve that, you know, if we can communicate all of that. And I and I that's why I love charismatic church, because I I didn't understand that until I was around people who understood the power of the Holy Spirit. And when I encountered that, I thought, oh, wow, this is like, this is vital. This is full of life. This is full of people who think that God is so real that he can talk to you and he can, you know, he, he can be part of your life in a, just a, such a dynamic way. And I, and so 
yeah, I think we're well placed to be able to do it. Um, and so that's the task before us. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so good. I mean, there's, there's lots of you've said, Aaron. Before we get to the next question, mm. I wonder if we could just pause for a second because I think there's something in there even about church leaders who are mm. maybe listening to this. And, and maybe one of the things they need is just to let God to begin to heal them. Mm. Maybe they need something of, you know, just of what you've shared there, Lucy, the, the work of the Holy Spirit afresh mm. in their lives as they head into the year 2023, as they journey over this year. Mm. Maybe they just need to take space and realize that actually Jesus has their best intentions yeah, yeah. for them. Yeah. Some of that language there about, you know, what, and some of the language we use here at Icon Church is around human flourishing. And I think sometimes leaders just need to pause and think it's not just about others, mm. but it's about the fact that God has the best for them as well. Yeah. So uh, uh, your newest book is Imago Day. I think I say that right. You can correct me. Um, but w would you be able to share some insights on your newest book? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, so it's it's one of those strange things that it's it, it's Imago day um but it's it is a bit funny so theologians use greek and latin phrases um which mostly are useful because they are a kind of shorthand so people use that phrase which is a latin phrase um to mean it's a shorthand for humanity made in the image of god yeah. which is the subtitle um but i do get that people are not gonna you know most most people don't really know what that means um so i was asked to write the book quite a long time ago it took me a very long time to get around to writing it because it's actually quite a short textbook explaining how the doc so the doctrine that humanity is made in the image and likeness of God, which comes from Genesis one, twenty-six and twenty-seven, male and female, he created them, you know, in his image and in his likeness. So that kind of short passage of scripture, which we're given we're given very little data really on what that means we're told that it's a fact you know this is how this is what has happened god made human beings like him um but in terms of what it means we're not given a lot of information in the scriptures we have to kind of piece things together and so this book is an explanation of how how theologians uh, um understood that through the ages and how the concept developed um, and w what it means to people now in the present day. Um, so it was is a very interesting book to write, um, but it took me a lot longer than I thought it was going to. <laughs> <laughs> in your conclusion, you explained there are, there are lots of ways to view it. I wonder if you could just share a little bit more about that uh, in terms of there are those many ways to view this. Yes, the so the, the where the church started with it, interestingly, because it was it, the gospel took root in a multicultural society um, where you had Jews and Greeks and Romans all living alongside each other, and their their common language was Greek, which is interesting. 
um, which is why we have the New Testament written in Greek. Um, and most of them living in, in the Middle East and in North Africa and in what we now think of as Turkey and Europe would have been multilingual. Um, and so the, to begin with, in this culture where the gospel sort of took root, a lot of people thought that, that that being made in the image and likeness of God, you could identify something that was part of being human that was godlike. So that was called the substantial view of the image of God, because it was almost like, is there a substance in us that you can say, oh, that's where God, that's what looks like God. Um, and sometimes it's called the ontological view because ontology is to do with the, a being, the nature of being. So just because we are, what is it about our being that makes us like God? And so they concluded that what it was about the, the nature of our being was, was really our kind of soul. And that makes sense because the idea that there's, that, that human beings, that God is not embodied, you know, God is spirit and God is triune. Um, and so it had to be something spiritual, if you like, that was like God. And so it would be the, the soul, but more the kind of higher um, ability in human beings to understand God. So if you, and another thing they did in the first few hundred years was to make a big distinction between animals and human beings. Um, so to say, you know, human beings are like God because they're not like animals. So they've got language and they've got memory and they've got relationship and they can pray to God and they can worship and all those things. Whereas interestingly now, we have a, we, we're much more um, in tune with the potential in creation to in a sense have its own life you know and now that we've done all this all this this science that says that we share so much dna with animals and you know what i mean we sort it's not like we're saying we're exactly like animals but i think the gap's closed a bit um so we think very differently now obviously from how people thought 2000 years ago so that was one view and then another view um is a, called the vocational view and that is that we're made in the image and likeness of God because of what we are called to do and be on the earth. And um, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, the, with the Bible Project's work and um, people, a lot of people know about the Bible Project. So they would take a very much vocational view in talking about human beings as a royal priesthood and that being made in God's image and likeness is being really made in the image of Christ, who himself is the royal king. He's the king, but he's also the priest, um, the high priest between us and God, the mediator, and that human beings somehow share that vocation and calling with Jesus Christ. Um, so that's the second one. And then the third one that I deal with is the relational view, um, which is that we're made in the image and likeness of God because we're made to be in a covenant relationship with him. And so the ability that we have to relate to him uniquely as humans, differently from um, creatures, animals, uh, is our specific uh, way that we are created. So they're all, I mean, they're all really rich ideas, really interesting ideas. And I kind of 
had to skate over the surface of quite a lot of them, but that just gives you a little brief introduction. No, really interesting. I, I guess on, on on that then, you've got this, all of these ideas. I, I guess in terms of our theology then, do you think uh, we should view theology as static or should we have more agile approach in terms of our theology? Well, that's... Um, You've got such good questions, Nathan. I'm re we could talk about lots of things for a long time. Um, I think both is what I think. Because some there are some things... So I'm a, a student of Christian doctrine, and that's what I study most. And there are some uh, doctrines which I think are fixed, if you like. You know, they're things that the church has decided um, this is what we believe. And we have creeds uh, that say we believe. <laughs> and those creeds, oh, one of them was written in 325 um, AD and has endured. It's been modified over the, year, the first few hundred years, but um, basically the essence of it remained the same. And the worldwide church uh, and the church through the, throughout history has been able to recite this creed together. Um, and so the things that we can continue to say, we believe in one God, you know, uh, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things seen and unseen. Now, that those things are so important. So that, in one sense, is static if you like uh it's fixed but then when you think about it once you've said those things we believe in the in his son the lord jesus christ you know we believe in the incarnation we believe in the holy spirit the lord the giver of the life but those doctrines that we can say we all believe in give rise to multiple questions and ideas you know and then we say so if we believe all of that, then what are the implications of that for you guys living where you live today with your neighbours, your family, the people you know and you don't know, your politics, um, your ethics, you know, your future, your calling, all the decisions you make in life? And what are the implications for me? So that is when theology is constantly evolving and shifting and changing and it's all about the conversation of you know how do we take the principles of the christian faith which we agree upon and then how do we apply all those things to our lives which will look very different for different generations and different cultures and different age groups and you know all of that so good great yeah mm -hmm. i think that'll really help um yeah. Lots of different people as I hear that today. Hey, Lucy, we've got a, a few more questions for you today uh, before we wrap up. We want to thank you for being on the show with yeah. us. Uh, before we get to the quick fire questions, mm. we want to find out who sort of inspires you the most and why. And of course, you can't say the obvious Jesus. We're going to take that as a red. <laughs> uh, so who else inspires you and why? Mm. I... Do, do you want concrete people or you, you can go whatever way you want feel free we're agile here I, I might i might leave names out because i'd probably embarrass people i i think that the the people who really inspire me 
are, are people who are secure enough to be quite obscure and um, who exhibit the kind of faithfulness and steadiness um, that I think is just, yeah, I find it deeply admirable and inspirational. Um, and actually, I will, I will mention that two people I saw on Monday night. So there's many people who inspire me, and that, some of them are actually academics. Um, but in a, in a church setting, I was, I was with uh, a couple, and I know they would be deeply embarrassed if they ever hear this, <laughs> called Rob and Pam Scott Cook. And they live in Bristol and they, they uh, have started, ran Woody's Church, Woodlands Church. And um, and it's just partly because they're on my mind and I, I wasn't able to attend a celebration of their 52 years in ministry, but I, I watched it online. And and I, I honestly would say I've, I find them truly inspirational because they put God, they always seem to put God first. They're really honest and open people um they're loving pam is huge fun and just makes me laugh and yeah they they are two people who inspire me i love uh, that so good love that love that 52 years that's incredible mm, so in ministry well, yeah. well done in ministry yeah. well yeah, done yeah. to those guys yeah. that is incredible and still smiling and still praying <laughs> you know and still loving i mean that's wonderful We've got a few quick five questions just to finish off this episode. Uh, so, uh, Lucy, what would you focus on first if you could live the last decade again? If I could live my last decade again, I would focus, I would actually focus on my family. I, I, it's a great privilege for me to have had four children and um I I think sometimes I was very distracted <laughs> and you know life gets so busy and sometimes I wish yeah I, I mean I was hugely caught up with my job actually in the last 10 years working full-time and I believe that God wanted me in it um and but sometimes I feel like I didn't have enough energy mm. well a bit big shout out to your family yeah. there and the next question alongside that is, what, what are you most excited about at the moment and challenged about, maybe? I'm always excited about my um, work, my academic work. So I, I love my writing. I'm very excited about that. And I uh, that sort of keeps me ticking over. And that also is an enormous challenge, having to shape books and and. Uh, essays and things like that so that's exciting and challenging for me but um, it personally but I, I'm actually I'm quite excited about the uh, prospect of growing the, the prophetic um, becoming more prominent in the church and I, I, I don't I might be wrong but I just have a feeling that um, God is going to grow us as prophetic people and I think he may bring people into the church maybe new believers who are very gifted in the prophetic um, and I think that will be an enormous challenge for the church but it could also be potentially very exciting yeah very good no amazing what would be your top two book recommendations and why you can't choose your own 
No, you can do. You can't do if you want. <laughs> no, no, I definitely won't. Um, that's that's really funny. Um, can I give a can I give a theology? Yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I say this many times. I I would love people to pick up Athanasius's book on the incarnation. It's a very small book. I said at the beginning that one of the topics I absolutely love is Christology. We call it Christology, the study of Jesus. Um, so that would be a, a book recommendation that I would um, I would really recommend, and. Actually, I've just, so just because it's on the top of my my mind, I recently just read two books by uh, novels. I don't read a lot of novels, but I was, I was very pleased to read two novels by Joanna Glenn. Um, and they are quite sad. It would just come with a warning. Uh, they deal with the topics of death and suffering, but are also beautiful and redemptive. And um, so I would recommend her books. Yeah, right. Big shout out then. Mm. And our final question today is, what is your favourite meal of choice? My favourite meal? Well, funnily enough, I got asked that recently. And I said, roast chicken. And I, I think I've, I've been on a very restricted diet, which is a bit sad because, as I said, I absolutely love food. So that's kind of cut down my number of meals that I would put in my top 10. Um, and I've been able to eat uh, meat because it's no gluten, no dairy and no various other things. Um, so I think for now I'm going to I'll stick with that. A, a really, really nice roast chicken with crispy roast potatoes and some um, steamed vegetables is one of my favourites. <laughs> well, it's a solid choice. I'm getting hungry am, here. Uh, yes, I'm very hungry right now. <laughs> that was so. a very good description there. Yes. I like the, the description with those roast potatoes. I was just thinking of yeah. Jamie Oliver's roast potatoes. Oh, stop it, Dave. Stop <laughs> it. Yeah, stop it, stop <laughs> it, yeah. Lucy, what's the, uh, what's the best way people can uh, connect with you, uh, maybe via social media or website? Uh, yes, I'm on Twitter, and I'm not a brilliant tweeter, but I, I am there. Um, I have a Facebook page. We have a, um, on our website, WTC website, uh, we have a section called WTC Resource, um, which has a couple of courses on there that I've done, which are free. Um, obviously, please come and study with WTC. That would be wonderful. And then you get me as a teacher and lots of other brilliant teachers. Um, and then uh, I have an academia page where I have a few articles up um, on academia.edu. And I and I have various kind of videos um, online. And I've also today... The Bible Project has just released my course on 1 Corinthians in the Bible Project classroom. So um, that would be great if anyone wants to take a course on 1 Corinthians. That's also completely free. And I loved filming that with my classroom. I had six students, absolutely brilliant students, asked fantastic questions. And we had an amazing time together. So that's all on that's all out today. Awesome. You kept that right to the last moment there. That's an exciting project, that. And so is yeah. that on their website or on yours? Uh, 
It's on, it's on there. Is it, yeah. is it part of their classroom project stuff or somewhere, something? Exactly. Yes, yeah. fantastic. It's in the classroom. Yeah, we'll give that yeah. a shout. That's well, fantastic. It is, it is. Well, it's been great to have you, Wonderful. Lucy, with us and it's been an amazing conversation. Yeah. And uh, big thanks to everyone who's listened. Please share, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you're listening to this content. Send it over to a friend who you know this Absolutely. would bless as well. And uh, don't forget, also, you can check out icon.church forward slash open for loads of free resources. But it's been great to have Lucy with us on the Church Explained podcast. It's been great to be together and we look forward to next time on the Church Explained podcast.